the Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 637 for Sunday, December 25th, 2016. Wow! Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Up, the show where you send in your questions, your tips, and your cool stuff found with the goal being for each of us to learn at least four new things each and every time we get together. For those of you that celebrate Merry Christmas today, our sponsors for this episode include Power Photos from Fat Cat Software at fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG. We'll talk more about that shortly here. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here, Fearful Connecticut, John F. Braun. How goes it, Mr. Braun? Yeah, it's going. Good. Good. Did you like that alternate intro? Yeah. Where'd that, what, what, what was that? Uh, Robert Hazelrig made that for us a number of oh, years ago. Oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah. So I figured I'd pull it out. We had some weird problems starting the show, and, uh, and so, you know, we, uh, we figured, I figured we'd, we'd go, we'd go kind of off the, off the beaten path. Merry Christmas, Mr. Braun. Or whatever you celebrate. No, no, no. I'm telling, I know you celebrate Christmas, so I'm telling you Merry Christmas. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's polite to offer something in return. <laughs> oh, what do you want? What do you want? Oh, my gosh. All right. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Simon here. All right. Uh, it's, we have a bunch of quick tips for you today. Uh, so we'll start with a couple of those and then we've got some questions and we'll go from there. Simon says, I may have a tip. I always save screenshots and rubbish to the desktop each. Uh, and then each week I need to clean them up while doing my cleanup this week. I selected several JPEGs and accidentally pressed command return. And lo and behold, I got a single pop-up showing all the thumbnails, uh, and all like in one little, little quick view window, if you will, uh, he says it saved him time arrow keying through them all to see if they, any of them were needed. Very cool stuff. And it, it, I test it and it works. Nice little trick. Uh, did you have any idea you could do this? I love these happy accidents. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's good. I like the happy accidents. You all right today, Mr. Brown, you seem a little, uh, you seem a little, did uh, did Santa not bring you what you wanted? I should say we we are as we did last week. We're recording the show on Friday, so technically today is Festivus. Uh, well, John and I are here, but for you, it's actually whatever day you're listening to it. We'll just we'll release it on on uh, on the 25th because just to keep with our our normally scheduled programming. But uh, all good, Mister Braun. Yeah, well, I hope I get what I asked for. Good. All right. I hope you did too. All right, uh, Todd has a nice little tip for us. He says, in Photos for Mac, create, and he, and he credits Allison Sheridan at podfeet.com for this, and we'll put a link to her blog post explaining it in, in the show notes, of course. But uh, he says, uh, in Photos for Mac, create a smart folder to find all the photos that aren't in any album. Uh, he says, and why it's useful. I imported a new big batch of photos from my phone. Well, in the last import zone, I moved a handful of selected photos into albums. 
Then I wanted to delete the rest. But since photos can be in multiple albums and views, I couldn't figure out how to select only the photos that had not been moved into albums. Alas, a quick Google tip found or a quick Google search found that tip from uh, from Allison uh, of the Nozilla cast. So thank you, Todd. And thank you, Allison, for that good stuff. I like I like little tips like that with photos. I wish I wish it was always that easy to do whatever we need to do with uh, with photos because it's sometimes limited, but that's okay. That's okay. It's all good. Any thoughts on that one, John, before we move on? No, I like those smart albums. Yeah, same. It's good stuff. All right. Uh, moving on to Everett, and we hope that, uh, that we fixed the little static issues that we had. And if we haven't, we're, we're about to find out because Everett's tip is from Everett. Hello, John, Dave, and sometimes Pilot Pete. I know you guys were talking about in a recent episode, Xfinity's free Wi-Fi to the current customers. And I found that their encrypted Wi-Fi network, you don't have to use their profile to log into it. All you need is a current Xfinity username and password, and then it will let you on. It has somehow linked their customer database and sign-ons to its WPA encryption. So I don't know how they're doing that, whether it's sends the computer a packet to communicate securely or how exactly it's doing it, but that's how I'm able to get on. And I can tell it to forget the other Xfinity, quote, unsecure networks. Thanks, and I hope you have a great day. I like this tip because I've had far more, security aside, I've had far more success with the secure Xfinity in all caps network than I have with the lowercase Xfinity Wi-Fi or even the cable Wi-Fi network that that are also part of that profile. So uh, so I like this. So, yeah, what they're probably doing is something akin to what I understand radius logins and uh, to do where you're using a username and password to connect to Wi-Fi instead of just a password. And uh, and even some home routers like higher end home routers will let you do, you know, specific users, which is nice, especially in like a corporate environment where uh, if some, you let somebody go, you want to terminate their access to the Wi-Fi, but not everyone else's. And you don't want to have to send around an email with just one password. So so I'm sure that Comcast, if they're not using Radius, they're using something else to do uh, to do all that. Enter- it's it, enterprise stuff. In fact, uh, Andy in the chat room will run for fun, says uh, that is how WPA2 Enterprise works. The cr- credentials are in the profile. So there you go. Thank you. And our chat room, of course, at MacGeekGab.com slash stream. Keeping us accurate and up to date. Very much appreciated. Good stuff. Finally, uh, a tip from Gray today, because uh, why not? He says, uh, you may have already learned this, but it is possible to sign into iCloud on an iOS device. Uh, He says the Mac most video podcast on November 9th shows the page brought up in Safari and iOS can be bypassed. So when you launch, uh, when you go to iCloud.com, on your iPhone, you just get a page that says, you know, go to the settings app to set it up, open, find my iPhone or open, find my friends. Uh, and then you can check your activation lock status too, but you can't actually hit the iCloud web interface. You're sort of directed away from that. But if you touch the action icon and slide your choices to the left, the last one is request desktop site. Touch that and voila, as they say in French class, you can then access the inbox to mark calendar spam as spam right from your 
iPhone. And that's a handy little thing, not just for iCloud, although obviously it serves a great purpose there, but for just, just about anything you can, uh, you can go and, and request the desktop version of, of the site. If the, uh, if the mobile version is not to your liking. So thanks very much for that. Great. Good stuff. Any thoughts on that, John? Nice. I think so. Yeah. yeah I got a special little, uh, little page here. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. All right, John. Um, moving on to Larry. He says, I relieved, I, I relieved? No. I received an email from Dropbox regarding the public folder and how it will be permanently eliminated. He says this was a big part of his workflow as a Dropbox Pro customer. And he's right. The public folder has been going away in stages, or at least the functionality, the old functionality of the public folder has been going away in stages. Uh, he says... I sell, uh, he runs a company selling things and he says, I have a link that they can click to and read charts, which show all the things that he needs them to, to see. He says, uh, and he just puts a link in the, in his, in his email. And the nice part is when they click this link, they're going to uh, a file that's hosted on his Dropbox public folder. And he just gets the, or they get in this case, the raw PDF right there in their web browser. When Dropbox took the public folder away from um, from from free accounts uh, and now what they're doing with pro accounts is no longer can you treat the Dropbox public folder as just another resource on the web. You can't link to like people would use it for forum posts or whatever. If you wanted to put an image up in a forum post and you had to host it separately, you just put it in your Dropbox public folder and put a link to it. Um, no longer does it work that way. Now, when you go and visit something in your Dropbox public folder or any folder where you share a public link to the document, you get it framed within a Dropbox uh, website. So you can't just embed these things. Now, for Larry's usage, it might still work because he's just showing people a PDF. So instead of them linking to just the raw PDF, now they would see the PDF kind of in Dropbox's own PDF viewer Interface, So it might still work for you, but uh, if that doesn't work for you, either for Larry or for any of you, uh, there are alternatives. Now, they aren't free, but neither is the current implementation of Dropbox's public folder. You have to pay for that. So I would I would look at honestly, I would look at an Amazon S3 account. They're very inexpensive, for, especially for for what we're talking about here. Low bandwidth stuff. I mean, we're, we're talking, you know, dollars per month, maybe even dollars per year, depending on how much you use. So um, so I, I, I think that's a place I would I would go with this. But I, I'm, I'm curious, John, have you have you gone through have you gone through any of this? Uh, I just. <clears throat> right clicked on one of the files I have in my public folder and pasted it in my browser and mm-hmm. uh it it was a JPEG and it brought up the JPEG. So Is it I, but is it a JPEG in your like in a Dropbox frame or is it just the raw JPEG? Uh it's just the raw JPEG. All right. Well that's going away. You don't get to uh, do that anymore. Right. Yeah. So uh so you will get start getting it in in frames. I be, but I believe there's a little bit of time. I think it's at some point in 2017 where that goes away. But um but so Amazon S3 might be the uh and you might you might even be able to get away with um a free Amazon S3 account at least for a year uh depending on the uh, the amount of bandwidth that you're going to use and and storage, but 
Uh, very, very inexpensive way to go. And I think we can trust that Amazon's going to be around for a little while. I mean, you never know. But <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think it's I think it's fair to say. Any other thoughts on on alternatives for this, John? I know you use a bunch of different cloud services, so I'm just curious if if you've seen this uh, available elsewhere. Yeah, I'll, I'll peruse my. Uh, yeah, I got a OneDrive account, Google Drive. Dropbox. I think that's about it. All right. Well, iCloud Drive, of course. Though I don't of course. believe they offer any. Uh, no, they public don't. Public functionality. Well, they do, but just not, not, not to solve Larry's problem. Yeah. Mm. All right. Cool. Moving on to Phil. Phil asks. I was a longtime user of Pro XPN, and now I'm trying a free TunnelBear account. I also see there there are a lot of browser plugins that offer a VPN just within the browser. Chrome has a .VPN plugin, as does Opera, Opera, Opera's developer version. What's the biggest difference from these? He says, from what I can see, the first two allow that anything that you do to be anonymous, and the ones in the browser only allow the content in the browser uh, to be tunneled through the VPN. And that that's exactly right, Phil. Um with a system-wide VPN like ProXPN or TunnelBear or even one that you set up on your own or a corporate VPN or anything like that, as long as it's system-wide, you are going to um, – well, you have the choice, actually. When you set up a VPN in system preferences in, in network, you, uh, it, you can tell it whether or not you want – if you go into the advanced section, you can say send all traffic over VPN connection. If you check that, then it does exactly what you would expect. All of your traffic is tunneled through the VPN. If you don't check it, then only traffic to the network segment that matches the uh, IP subnet of the VPN will be sent there. And that can be handy too if, for example, you need – uh, VPN access in order to get to your your company's uh, database or something like that, but you know you're working in an otherwise trusted environment, right? Let's say you're you're you know at your home and you trust it there, or even a second location of the company, and you just need to tunnel through to this other one to get to a, a resource that can be that can make things a little more efficient. That way, you're not tunneling all your traffic um, through the VPN, but for security and privacy, you would want to check that box in most cases and and do it. You got the noisy chair today, John, um, with an, (laughs) with an in browser VPN, uh, that's a little bit different. As you noted, it just puts the traffic inside the browser across. And, and unfortunately there's no in browser VPN plugin for Safari that I found, uh, or extension, I should say, but in uh, in Chrome, you can find dot VPN and you can find some others. And these are available for free, which is kind of cool if you don't want to start tunneling uh, the majority of your traffic across a VPN. But you do want to tunnel your your web browsing traffic. Um, it, you know, there, there's various reasons for this. It just depends on what you want secure or even hidden Right. Sometimes you don't mind if if people sniffing your network traffic know what mail server you connect to. But uh, you want your browsing history to be private or not, you know, uh, subject to the limitations of your network. Right. If you're if you've got some something that that limits where you can go on on the network that you're on. Well, using a VPN typically bypasses that entirely unless the VPN is blocked by the network administrator, too. So 
Thoughts about any of this, John? I used something a long time ago, Juniper, and I think it was a Java plugin or some sort of browser plugin. Huh. But, but the point you bring up is good too, is that I, I do remember, and also I use the Cisco product sometime. Uh, it gets kind of interesting if you want to access both VPN resources and local resources. I actually remember this from the Cisco VPN software. There, there was actually a checkbox where you could say, allow access to local resources as well. Sure. I think the default was no, but say you wanted to like, you know, uh, access your corporate network, but print something on your printer, um, you would have to dig into the software and, and find that setting to allow that scenario. Right. Right. Cool. Yeah. VPN can be, it can be a handy thing. I, I always tend to keep one going or, or ready to go, not just for security, but, but mostly for when I need, like when I'm on some network, that's just getting in my way. And then it's like, you know what? Let me just turn on the VPN and tunnel out of here and I'm good to go. And, uh, and I, 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 you know, I've told the story on the show before where it was a year or two ago, I was showing my son, we were testing Dubuki, right. To, uh, to see what, what traffic was available, you know, what traffic was visible, uh, from the local network. Like, could you see where someone was connecting? And sure enough, you could easily could, right. It's like, Oh, interesting. So I fired up a VPN and, and, uh, did it and you couldn't see all you could see was this one device had a connection to a VPN. What's going on over there, Mr. Braun? Then I just tighten the bolts on this thing too. Man. I don't know. I mean, it's like maybe, maybe it's the uh, the new audio setup here. I have I have a much cleaner signal to you, but uh, it's like it's like the noisiest chair in the world today. But hmm. uh, yeah, but uh, and so you know, I showed this to my son. I was like, yeah, it worked with the VPN. And then he came home from school the next day and said, "Hey, can you set me up uh, with a VPN account here at the house?" I'm like, "Yeah, of course." He said, yeah, because they don't let us get on like Instagram or anything like that. They block all that with the school network. He says, but I'm pretty sure with the VPN, uh, they couldn't block that. Like, yeah, you're absolutely right, kiddo. Sure enough, works great. So, and actually my, my kids aren't alone. A, a lot of the kids at school use a VPN like Tunnel Bear or something like that to, to get around and <laughs> do the stuff, I, you know, like, yep. I would. And I think that's, you know, I, that's good for the, good for the kids to, to think about it. It's good stuff. Anyway, uh, that's what I got. You got any anything else on this, John? No, not really. Okay. No, we've, uh, we've had quite a bit of VPN talk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But this was this was a little bit different. I, I hadn't ever... I, I honestly had never thought about it as a browser plugin before. But uh, but it works. I tried it. I tried that .vpn plugin in, in Chrome. And it... Man, it worked great. Really well. Good stuff. You ready for me to talk about our sponsor, John? Absolutely. May I? May I? Awesome. You may. <laughs> uh, our sponsor for this episode, and there's just one for our Christmas episode here, so we get to take a little time with them, is Fat Cat Software at fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG. The folks at Fat Cat uh, have been making software to enhance Apple's photo management offerings for years and their current product called power photos is the toolbox you need if you use photos on your mac previously they made iphoto library manager for iphoto same general concept photos is great 
It lets you manage your things. It's totally tied in with the system. There's a lot of reasons to use it. One of the reasons against using it is that its functionality sort of hits a wall at times. That's where Power Photos comes in. It allows you to do things that Photos just doesn't. And yet you still get to have all your it's it's a cake and eat it too scenario is exactly what it is. So you can merge multiple photos libraries together. You can eliminate duplicate photos. Uh, you can use it to to not just merge multiple libraries, but manage multiple libraries. It has its own photo browser. So you can do searching. You can do list view of your photos, copy photos back and forth between two different libraries. Uh, you can split up one library into pieces. So if you get to the point, it's the end of the year and you're like, hey, you know what? I've got photos in my library going all the way back to, you know, 2000. I don't want to have all of this on on one computer. Maybe you're on an older Mac and it's getting a little slower. Chop up the library say, OK, you know, let's cut it off. Let's say I've got one library that goes up through 2011 and then I'll have one 2012 through 2016. OK, great. You know, and you can do that and then you can just bounce between them. It's easy. Very, very easy. And photos will allow you to open different libraries just by holding the option key. Power Photos lets you create those alternate libraries and manage the photos that you want to move between the two. That's something that Photos simply will not do. Uh, really makes that life super, super easy. Here's the bonus. If you still happen to have an older machine with iPhoto, you probably still want iPhoto Library Manager. The good news is when you buy Power Photos, it's a bundle license. You get both. That's how it works. Even better, Coupon code MGG saves you 20% off the purchase of that bundle license. So go to fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG. That lets them know that you, we sent you. And then when you're ready to buy, coupon code MGG saves you 20%. So you got to check it out. Our thanks to the folks at Fat Cat Software and Power Photos for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, let's... Uh Let's go to uh, let's go to Douglas. Let's let's do this here. Douglas says, I have a question on Bluetooth earbuds. It's timely, given all the uh, attention to AirPods and, and the like, John, for <laughs> and, and your chair, which we can hear through our Bluetooth earbuds. For a couple of years, I've been using the Jaybird Bluebuds uh, Bluetooth earbuds, and uh, they are the type that are connected with a cord to each other. I have been very happy with them. Recently, I purchased a couple of inexpensive single ear earbuds to use for listening to podcasts during my train commute. Uh, let me say that I am in agreement with you. Totally wireless is amazing. It truly is. He says, here's my question. When watching video on my iPhone 7 with the Jaybird Blue Buds, and audio, the audio and video are in perfect sync. However, when I watch the same file using one of the single ear earbuds that I recently got, the audio lags behind the video. Both single ear earbuds are Bluetooth 4.1 and one of them is Bluetooth 4.1 plus EDR. Why is it in sync with the blue buds and not with the single ear earbuds when all of them are Bluetooth? Is there a difference on the receiving end? And if so, how do I know whether or not this will be the case prior to purchase? It's a good question. So here's the deal. Uh, Bluetooth audio is always sent compressed, right? I mean, it has to it, it, it's not just sent in its raw form. It's compressed down. It's sent over to the Bluetooth earbud. It's decompressed. And then, of course, inside the earbud, converted from digital to analog because our ears are still remain analog devices. So that process will take some amount of time. Now, it can be done 
in an amount of time that is imperceptible to the human ear. Anything below, I don't know, what is it? Is it 20 milliseconds or 30 milliseconds is basically imperceptible. Um, and, and certainly in terms of sync between, between audio and, and video, that's going to work out just fine. Anything larger than that, even especially things significantly larger, like if it's 200 milliseconds, you're going to notice. So it depends on, on how it's all wired, but some Bluetooth earbuds also will do some buffering so that they can recover from a momentary glitch because Bluetooth is very susceptible to interference. So anything where it requires a great sync, you, 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 you basically are trading the potential for skips for the, for the, the guarantee of a delay. Right. And, and that, that's just sort of how Bluetooth works. So maybe these, you know, maybe these, these uh, single ear earbuds are actually all made by the same vendor. And that vendor has chosen to do some buffering or has some slow processing in the, um, in the chain somewhere along the line. Uh, but it, you know, you just have to test them. That's all. Any, any thoughts? I've done some testing, John. I want to actually talk about, I've tested a bunch of AirPods alternatives for folks here um, that we'll, that we'll talk about in a minute, but uh, any thoughts on this before we get into that? I'm not really a Bluetooth audio type of guy to tell you the truth. <clears throat> I, I would say, um, that in 27, I mean, we've seen it really 2016 has been the year of wireless, truly wireless, um, cordless earbuds. Uh, I think we're going to see even more of that now that Apple has legitimized that market. <clears throat> and as, as I've said, it's totally blissful. And now I'm hearing an echo from you, John. Oh, well, that's because right. I took my headphones off. Ah, I was okay. Well, because I was looking, I wanted to get the model number. So Got yeah, it. these are the S400BT from JBL. And I tried the Bluetooth sure. audio option. And actually, to your point, but I wasn't really happy with it because I ran into the interference thing. Okay. I'm sitting near my Wi-Fi and, and all that stuff. And it wasn't a very pleasant experience. So I actually opted to wire it into my uh, soundboard. Well, for doing a podcast, you almost... Excuse me, almost certainly want, <clears throat> I don't know, frog in my throat, squeak in your chair, frog in my throat. We'll make it. Um, you, you certainly want wired. You don't want any delay uh, to, you know, because it can be weird talking and hearing yourself on a mild delay unless you're really used to it. Uh, it can slow you down. Although for yeah. me, that's a good thing. Slow me down. I don't know if, I don't know if the, um, well, you asked the question about EDR. I don't know if that has anything to do with the delay. EDR is enhanced data rate. And that, I think, allows your Bluetooth stream to go, I think, up to two megabits a second or something. Okay. Well, I, don't, I don't know if that has, I don't know if that's, that causes or, or prevents a delay or not. Right. Uh, yeah. I honestly, I don't know if it matters. I don't think it does, but I think it just allows fast or, you know, faster data data throughput um yeah so in terms of uh you know the airpods are out i actually haven't tested the airpods um i, I asked apple if they wanted to be involved in in this little roundup that we were doing today and and uh and they said no so it's like okay mm -hmm. that's fine um people but i will say this about the airpods because i've talked to quite a few people uh that have them specifically about 
the the delay that that Douglas is is talking about here and all of that. And everyone that I've talked with, and I've probably talked with 15 people that have AirPods, not a single one has reported any perceptible delay when watching videos or anything like that. Uh, even a Skype chat, Allison Sheridan. Uh, so the second call out uh, in, in the same episode here, she and Steve, her husband did a Skype chat and, and testing specifically for this uh, for us. And no, nothing, nothing perceived. So, uh, they're obviously doing something right now. The AirPods are connecting both earpieces directly to the phone or to the Mac. They are not doing what most of the other ones do, which is the stereo ones where one connects and then that connects to the other one, which introduces a second layer of delays. And my, um, you know, I've, I've been going back and forth on which one's my current favorite, but the I think the ear in still sits at the top of my list. Uh, it has come down in price since we first talked about it. Instead of it being two ninety nine, it's now one ninety nine. The ear in is just a pair of wireless earbuds. It doesn't do any speakerphone. It doesn't do anything like that. Uh, and it does have an intentionally perceptible. Well, not intentionally perceptible, but it does have an intentional delay built into it. So using it for watching video is not recommended. You've got about a 150 millisecond um, lag built into it. And the reason is uh, not just skip protection and buffering, but to make sure that the two ears are in perfect sync. Uh, if you, if they are not, you will start to get this thing where like the middle of the stereo audio signal starts to waver back and forth. Oftentimes the singer's voice is the thing that's, that's panned dead center. And so you'll get this weird feeling sometimes uh, if people don't do this, where the singer's sort of wavering back and forth, if there's, if there's any variance in the, uh, in the latency. So Erin intentionally has engineered around that by building in a buffer and a delay to make sure everything stays in sync. Um, and, and the cost of that is it's not built for watching video, but they do sound amazing when you're listening to music. Uh, absolutely my favorites uh, for that at the moment. And I use it all the time when I'm playing my drums, they can get loud enough uh, and they seal my ear well enough to, uh, to do that. So, so we'll, again, we'll put links to all this stuff in the show notes, a new one that I haven't really talked much about, but, uh, but I'm very interested in is the braggy dash. Now the dash is it's retail is two ninety nine. You can get it on Amazon for about two forty nine. The braggy dash is uh, a set of stereo earbuds, but much more than that, it's um, it, they've got a speaker phone in them. They've got a, um, they've got a, a, I think a four gig chip in them. So you can load music onto them. You have to plug it in USB with the, it's got a little charging case and you plug the charging case in USB and then you can copy stuff to the, the folder on these things. So you don't need your iPhone or your watch with you or anything it's got a gyroscope in it. It's got a heart rate monitor. Um, I mean, it, it's it, it's built at, and it'll talk to HealthKit and all of that. It'll do your step counting. Uh, it can, you know, track calories. They're waterproof, so it can track your pool laps. I, I mean, it's it's pretty crazy what um, what they've done with this thing. It's it's an interesting um, it, it's a fairly comfortable earbud. I've had a little trouble getting, getting the left one to seal. I'm not quite sure why to be, to be honest, the right one seals fine for me. They've got different sizes and, and, and all of that of, of like these ear tips, but, um, really an interesting, interesting thing. Um, 
have you have you heard of the the braggy dash at all, John? No. Okay, that's great. So uh, and it's it, they've just like Erin. It has an app that has uh, some control. Actually, the the braggy dash has quite a bit more control than the than the Erin. So if you're if you're a um, a runner or a swimmer, these are really built for you, but they do sound good. Uh, they, they sound wise. My only complaint is that they are very limited in volume. You can only crank the volume up to a certain point and And that's maybe 60%, maybe 70% of maximum. Then you have to launch their app to go above that. But once you go back down, you can't go above it again. And I've found for some scenarios, it's, it's not quite loud enough. Uh, it does have a cool thing though, John called transparency mode. They have, uh, either a little, I think it's a little microphone. In fact, it is, it's, it's gotta be a little microphone in each ear and you can turn on transparency mode so that even though the earbuds seal your ears, you get to hear out like sound from around you bleeding in. So if you want to listen to music while you're running or whatever, uh, you can do that and still hear cars coming by or even people talking with you and you can configure it so that it turns this on and off, uh, when you pause your music so you can be kind of in isolated world while you're listening to music, perhaps on a plane. And then when you stop, you know, you just tap the side of the earbud. It's got a, um, it's got touch sensors on either earbud. You just tap one of them, pauses the music, and then it turns on transparency mode. If you have it set that way so that you can hear and you don't have to pop the thing out of your ear or anything like that. It's pretty cool what they're doing with it. They've got a, um, so they call that the dash. They've got something coming out soon. Uh, I think you can pre-order it. It's called the headphone. And it's kind of the same concept, but uh, it's not waterproof. It doesn't have the internal storage. It doesn't have, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff, but it's, it's a, I think it's 149 is their uh, price on that. So anyway, it's something to, uh, something to think about. And then two others, I've mentioned them on the show before, along with the ear which is why I um, uh won't spend a whole lot of time on them, but, uh, but I have gotten the opportunity to test the two that, that, uh, were mentioned by you folks, the smart Omi boots and the Roken bit charge. Uh, the boots are the least expensive that I've tested at 76 bucks. They have no charging, uh, case. I mean, they have a case that charges, but it has no battery in it. So you, you just have to plug in either to your computer or you, you could plug into an external battery, but, um, no portable built in portable way of charging. Uh, but that helps bring the cost down and they sound okay. Uh, though the braggies have no perceptible lag when listening to music, uh, and watching videos. So that's, that's a good sign with those. The, uh, the smart Omi boots do have a little bit of lag with the, with the video and, and they do it for the same reason to, to, uh, to make sure that the music listening is, is, you know, dead center. Audio quality wise, the smart Omi boots are probably the worst of the four, but it's not terrible. Um, if you're not a maniac about audio quality like me, you, you might not even notice. Um, so, uh, so definitely worth, worth considering and fairly comfortable. They kind of just fit in the ear and they're good. And then the Roken bit charge for 129 ha- does have a battery built in no perceptible delay, uh, decent audio quality. Again, not audiophile level, but, um, and not on par with the dash or the ear in, but but decent audio quality. So we'll put links to all those things in the show notes. So if you didn't get AirPods for your holiday gifting, if you didn't find them under the Christmas tree or wherever that was, um, or you're, you're just not interested in the AirPods for whatever reason, you got some other options here. So, so there you go. Any thoughts on this, John? 
No, I may check out those headphones. Which headphones? That you mentioned. Didn't you mention that Braggy is going to do some headphones? Oh, yeah. Braggy's doing. Yeah, that's called. Yeah, that's right. They call it the headphone. That's right. Yeah. The headphones. The, right. No, no, no. The headphone. The headphone. It is stereo, which is now going to mm. be confusing, but it is. Yeah. Oh, you know. Yeah. Why don't you. Uh, so, John, let's um, let's let's do something a little bit different. You and I both recently have headed into the world, and I'm not going to say A-L-E-X-A, and we're going to try not to say that word in case anyone else has one of these units. So we'll call it, um, we'll call it Amazon. Uh, so you and I both have these uh, Echo-based uh, devices in our home. We have the Echo Dots, uh, I believe, is what we each, got, we each have. And we've been playing with it. So uh, talk about some of the fun stuff you've been doing with your... Uh, your echo unit. So one of the first things, <clears throat> so what you can do is you can, uh, the, the way to add functionality to this device <laughs> is that it has skills. And what thrilled me to death, Dave, was the number of things that it interfaces to that I can't do with, uh, with the Apple ecosystem. Yeah. So one of the first, which I know thrilled you anytime you come over here. So I have these, uh, wink, uh, bulbs. So I got the starter kit. So it's it's called a Link Hub, which allegedly you can only use to control light bulbs. But I found that I can see other devices. Um, in the past, the only way to manipulate that was to run an iOS app, which uh, I found kind of annoying. There was no web interface, no way to do it easily from a, from a Mac or a PC. It was just an iOS app, and I'm like, well, that's lame. <laughs> well, all of a sudden. I can now add a skill to wink. And basically all I have to do is go in the room and I say, Alexa, turn nope. on the lights. No, you don't. Nope. Sorry. Can't say that word. <laughs> well, you don't have, you, you can call her different things too. Right. So we're not going to wake everybody's up, but um, we, we just woke most of them up, but I can say, turn on the lights or now this is the fun part too. Now you, you can, it, it, it integrates with the app. So what I found interesting was that when I looked at the, uh, the wink application, it would show, Hey, you know, I got a, I got an instruction from, uh, from this other thing. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, well that's neat. I'm like, huh, you know what? When the, uh, when the request comes into their app, it lists a percentage. I wonder if I can do that. And yes, you can. So I can say, turn on the lights at 10%. Oh, and it will bring them nice. on at 10% or, I can up or down the uh, the brightness of of the bulbs, so that's kind of fun. Now that that's not a guarantee with every skill. It depends on what the oh, yeah. author of the skill has baked into it, and and you'll find that sometimes there's a third party or even even um, you know freely available sort of almost open source skill that will have way more functionality than the official one from the manufacturer because it's built mm -hmm. by the users as opposed to, you know, the, uh, the, the manufacturer who is just sort of punching the ticket. Sometimes some manufacturers do a great job, but some not so much. Yeah. Yeah. One didn't thrill me. So I got this smart AC control and they have an interface to it, but they don't let me do what I'd like to do. So the, the interesting thing about the smart AC, AC control from uh, Tato or Tato, I'm not sure the right pronunciation, but um, so you can tell it to turn it on and off and give it, I guess, the, the degrees that you want it at. But the thing is the, the device also, 
And now this is what, what I think uh, on the one hand is a well-engineered device is you can access it either through an app or through a web interface if you sign in. You're talking about the... The smart AC control. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, from yeah. From Tato. Sure. They do have a skill and what disappoints me though. So if you run the app, in addition to being able to control your AC with the, with the IR, it also shows you the temperature and the humidity, which it kind of has to know. To sure. Do its thing. Sure. The problem is I, I would have expected to be able to find that information out, but apparently they didn't put a skill or a, 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 a phrase or whatever the proper term is for me to get that information. Yep. Cause I said, well, you know, tell me what the temperature and humidity is or ask Tato what the temp and humidity is. And it's like, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I can't do that with, uh, I know with my Ecobee thermostat, I can't, get that information via the echo skill. And I, I, I don't even think I can get that out of the nest either. It's limited though. And it, it, that, you know, it's frustrating when you know that the data is available and, and the way it all works is these echo units talk to the echo cloud. And then that talks to whatever cloud it is that manages your, your other things. So they're not, I even I think even with your wink bulbs, it's it's talking over the cloud, not yes. okay, okay. So it's not talking directly to them in your home. And that that's a little bit that's where things start to get a little weird. Um these have to be internet connected devices. Right. So you could if I had your wink app running here at my mm-hmm. house, I could control your lights from here. Is that right? As far as I know, yes. Yeah, okay. Right. So that's you have to sign in yeah. with my ID and then it's like, oh yeah, I that's I, right. I know. I know this device. Yeah. So, so when you're, but, but then, but that's sort of the, the other nice part is if it has a cloud service, it is almost certainly, you know, compatible with the, the echo e- ecosystem, even stuff that's really, really old. Uh, and, and that's not always the case with, uh, with Siri. In fact, it's almost certainly not the case. And I'm sorry. I said S I R I. I always forget. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, I've been really happy with it. We've got it hooked up to our, our harmony remote. So I can say, Hey, turn on the TiVo or turn on the Apple TV and it will, you know, configure everything nicely. I can even have it pause because our harmony remote will do this. I can even have it pause our, our Sonos when I, in the living room, when I tell it to turn on the TV. So it like becomes this, this, you know, kind of scripted environment. And then I think, as I mentioned on a recent show, I went a little nuts and set up uh, a little uh, Node.js based Sonos controller here at the house. So now we can do what Sonos and uh, Amazon have promised is coming next year, which is uh, we can control our, our Sonos via voice. And I will tell you that is stellar. Now, if, if you if you don't have Sonos and you're just listening to music on your Amazon unit, then you can do that now. And, and once you've experienced that, it absolutely makes all the sense in the world to just be able to say, you know, Hey, uh, tell Sonos to make it louder or Hey, tell Sonos next track or Hey, tell Sonos, I want to, uh, you know, to play, uh, you know, Frank Zappa in the kitchen and boom, it just, Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, no problem. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now here's one that was unexpected, but, but I really like. So the Eero has a skill. I'm like, well, why would you need a skill for the Eero? I mean, it's it's a Wi-Fi <laughs> mesh thing. Yeah. The thing is, you can name them when you set them up. And here's the fun part. 
you can ask it to find things for you. So for example, I can say, whatever, ask Eero to find my iPhone. And it's like, the last I saw your iPhone was next to whatever the name of the nearest Eero access point is. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of cool. And actually, they, they, uh, they recently enhanced their uh, iOS app to also uh, dig in and give you a little more detail about what's connected to each point. Right. So you can kind of understand what's, uh, what's happening. That's a neat skill. I, I also got a Wemo skill because somebody, a uh, secret admirer, got me a, a Wemo. Uh, oh, nice. Um, uh, it's just a power power plug. Yeah, but you name it. And so, for example, right now I have it hooked up to one of my uh, humidifiers. So all I have to say is turn on the humidifier, and it's like yeah. okay, yeah, that's it. I think we're just gonna um, we're just gonna um, we're just gonna say hey. We're not gonna say a name, hey. and that's how we're gonna do it in the show. So hey, turn on the humidifier because you can do that with uh, with. I mean, you can't. You have to say the name, but but that way we're not triggering anything. Um, y- you know, here's the thing. Right now, and, and again, you know, depending on when you listen, these prices might change, but the, the Echo Dot is normally only 50 bucks from, from Amazon. Right now, it's only 40 So, you know, for 40 bucks, this is kind of a... I, when I got one for me a couple of months ago, it was just like, well, you know, it's 40 bucks. I'll play with it. And instantly, I was hooked. So, uh, and so is the, the whole family has been hooked. It's great. Just set in time. I mean, we use it all the time setting timers in the kitchen. It's like, Hey, set a timer for 10 minutes. And oh, then, yeah. and then, but what's cool and you can't do this with the Apple uh, stuff. You can say, Hey, set another timer for seven minutes and it'll keep track of multiple timers, which again, it seems so simple, but in the kitchen, man, when your hands are full, it's awesome to just be able to interact with, you know, Skynet like this with, uh, without having to do anything. So it's cool stuff. I, I will say having an echo unit has made me use Apple's stuff in my, in my phone more, especially when I'm driving, I'm, I'm, I'm more used to just interacting via voice. So in the car, I'll say, you know, Hey, read me my messages or whatever. And then it does. And, and that, that process tends to work fairly well. So it's cool stuff. The We'd love weirdness. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, the only weirdness I've run into is a couple of times, um, so I have it in the same, uh, what I call my entertainment center. And I, I watch a good amount of movies. Sure. And uh, more than once, it's responded to something that was said in the movie because I think it thought someone was talking to it. Like at one point, I was watching a movie and all of a sudden I hear, my pleasure. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah, what? And then I'm like, oh, okay. You were responding I think if you say thank you, it'll yeah. give you a, uh, if, if you thank the device, it'll, it'll give you one of many replies. And one of them is my pleasure. And uh, now the, the other cool thing is that their app will show you what it thought it heard and you can help them make their system better. So for example, last night when I was watching, uh, it was a Sully, uh, pretty good flick actually. Ah, cool. Um, but yeah, I, I have a phrase in here, and I don't know what it thought was being said, but but the phrase here, it says, will be fought with is in a human ours on games. And I'm like, wow, Whoa. where'd you get that from? Huh. So I basically, and, and for a lot of things, you can say, um, was this what you said? And you can say, um, no. Right, that's right. <laughs> and for that one, yeah. I'm like, I, I didn't say that. Yeah. I, I don't even know. <laughs> 
So um, it's it's worth going and getting one of these things. They're fun uh, and and a relatively inexpensive, and there are Easter eggs in them. So we will end this little segment. Oh, really? Yeah, we will end this little segment by saying the following, and perhaps and 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 this is just because I went and saw Rogue One last night. So uh, so I'm just going to share a little bit of that with you. Uh, but no spoilers. Don't worry. I'm just going to say this. Alexa, I am your father. Uh, and we'll leave it at that. Uh, I had a weird network issue. We've been talking a lot about mesh networks uh, and we're not going to dig back into to familiar territory quite yet. We will. We'll get back there. But I had an interesting issue last week when we recorded this show. John and I were having some some network uh, weirdness between the two of us. And I uh, immediately, of course, blamed it on on John. And what we were seeing was not necessarily a ton of packet loss, but weird latency and just inconsistent latency. And uh, and so I started we both started doing ping tests and we were pinging things outside of our network. I was pinging. We were both pinging www.apple.com. Just open up a terminal type ping space www.apple.com and let it roll. And what's nice is you can kind of watch that and see, does, do you miss any packets or does the time, uh, the turnaround time, which is reported in milliseconds change dramatically. And I figured, you know, we'd watch that. And so when we were having problems, we looked and unfortunately it was on my end. Uh, I saw, you know, instead of it being normally, it's like 20 milliseconds. It was up at like 70 or 80 as like a baseline. And occasionally would spike to two or 300. It's like, all right, what's going on? And then it would get better. So we did the show and I didn't think much of it. And we had some weird things happen at the house over the weekend that again, just couldn't quite be explained. Everything sort of worked. That was the problem. And then um, middle of the week, I did a speed test at, from my office and I was getting two megabits a second in each direction. That's right, John. Two. Two megabits. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is a problem. So I did a test uh, inside the house, a speed test. For, well, inside my my network from the from my iMac in the office to one of the to the router. Actually, I uh, use using iPerf because my the current router that I have set up uh, lets me SSH in and I can run iPerf on it, which is great. And uh, and again, I was getting like two megabits a second. I'm like, oh crap! Something happened to the Ethernet cable buried between the house and the office. Like this is bad news because the ground's frozen now. Like this is not going to work. And so I, I, again, I did a test up to the studio here to make sure that within the office, everything was fine. It wasn't just the ethernet cable on my computer. Yep. That was, you know, full gigabit speed, 980 something megabits. Okay. And then I thought, wait a minute. Now let me do a test to the point of entry in the house. And I got 900 megabits to there. Like, okay, sweet. The buried cable is good. And I isolated it down to, uh, Basically, something behind the the TV in our master bedroom, which is where, which is sort of one of the 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 hub points in my home, and I knew that from there, between there and the 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 run that goes to the router, which is clear in the other end of the house, which is over uh, Mocha, that's where the problem was. I thought, all right, maybe my Mocha adapters need to be reset. So I reset them. Nope, same problem. I dug around and I found it. I found an Ethernet cable, the one plugged into my Mocha adapter between the Mocha adapter and the switch had been chewed. We have a, a new cat, new to us cat. They tell us she's about three years old. She acts like a kitten. She looks like a kitten. I think she's a kitten. Um, they say she's three years old. They're lying. But anyway, 
she's been chewing all kinds of cables. It's been our nightmare for the last couple of months. Uh, we've completely depleted our supply of lightning cables and, and all of that. But uh, so I was like, okay, great. And I'm like, man, I'm in. So I swapped out the cable problem instantly solved. Okay, great. And I'm looking at this cable. I sent you a picture of it. I even posted one in our Facebook group. I'm like, this is impressive because this cable of the eight wires that were in there, three of them were obviously completely severed and the others were well chewed. I'm like, man, Ethernet's really robust. Like, this is amazing that it was passing traffic consistently, not 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 quickly, but consistently. Like, that's amazing. And one of the commenters, I think it was Graham McKay on Facebook, said, uh, I wonder if, you know, this cable really wasn't any good and just Dave's crazy network at home, you know, self-healed and fixed it. And at first I was going to reply and say, ha that's awesome. And then I thought about it. I'm like, you know what? He's totally right. Because I've had a mesh network in my house for years. And that mesh network is Sonos. The way Sonos works when you don't have it just connected to your Wi-Fi, when you have it create its own mesh, which was the only way to do it for a long time. So that's how I still have it. Um, it creates its own mesh. Now, that mesh is only officially built to be used to transmit data for the Sonos devices to each other. But it is you. It is built using standard network protocols and, and specifically one called Spanning Tree Protocol, STP. And what STP does is it makes sure that when two devices are connected via two different paths, that there is no loop. And the way it does that is it sends packets, STP packets, out all the, the ports. And it waits. And they kind of hold an election about who's going to be the master. And then everybody reports back to the master. This all happens automatically. It's great. Everybody reports back to the master. Here's how long, here's the quality. And they, they it's basically, you know, uh, ping times, but, but there's some other things they, they look at, I think. And, and they say, okay, what's the best path for me to get, you know, to you. And then what's the best path for you to get to point C and all of this. And they hold these elections and then they block everything except STP packets on the deprioritized ports. And that way, no loop happens, right? So if you've got, you know, A connected to B and B connected to C and C connected to A, uh, they'll hold an election to make sure that C is not getting traffic from both A and B, right? You know, it's all going to go the right way. And because I have two Sonos devices plugged into Ethernet, STP is a very important part of my network. And, uh, and when this cable got chewed... I have no doubt that the Sonos devices said, well, we can't go that way. Got to reroute. This is a less, uh, less, uh, less, uh, lower quality link, but it's all we got. So they just used it automatically. So mesh to the rescue, John. I would be curious. <clears throat> so you've taken that cable out of your, your yeah. equation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, but I still uh, have the cable. No, actually I threw the cable away. Yeah. Oh, because I'd be curious what you would see. So there's something on the Mac called network utility. Uh-huh. And then there's an info tab. And then there's the various network interfaces. I, you know, if you can get that cable back, I, I'd love to see what the values are. So so if you click on each interface, it'll give you various it, interesting it, it's statistics. Zero. There's no there's no connection. Lights oh, there's even. none. No. Okay. That's what I would that's what was impressed me at first. It was like, gosh, there's not even a link light. 
on the switch that it's plugged into, I'm shocked that it's passing traffic. Of course, it wasn't passing traffic. So, yeah. Okay. Because th- this information screen will show you the MAC address, the IP address, but then it shows link speed and link status. And I'd be very interested. Yeah, no, there was nothing. It, it was okay. as though there were no cable plugged in because, oh, all right. because it was severed. Yeah, no, I, I it, yeah, I saved it at first because for exactly this reason, I was like, I got to test this and figure out what it was doing. But okay. no. Um, so if you looked at the status screen, the link status in all likelihood would have been inactive down or inactive. link speed would have been zero. (laughs) No, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. Yeah. It was just down. Yeah. It was, it was no good, but it was pretty cool. And so I mentioned this story a, because it's just fun and, and we're geeks and, and uh, it's our last show of the year. So we're, we're taking a little Liberty and just having a geeky conversation that we might otherwise have offline. And, uh, but Many, not all, but many smart switches and even some routers, you'll see a lot of Netgear routers have an option in their advanced settings for enable or disable spanning tree protocol. And when you say disable STP a lot of times, and this is the default on a lot of gigabit switches right now, they will block the STP packets. And I had this problem with the Netgear R8500 router. It was blocking STP packets for me because the switch that they bought from Broadcom and, you know, just soldered into the thing by default blocks them. I can't even fathom why you would want to block STP packets, but not everything else. I guess it is sort of chatty because it's constantly sending out this stream of packets. But uh, but having those blocked, the problem is it doesn't get there. So spanning tree protocol doesn't know. That there's a link. It assumes there's no link if the if its packets don't get there and then it creates awful loops. And and I was having a major problem because my Sonos system was causing a loop. And I finally figured out how to turn it on in the switch. And and I think now it might even be on by default because I yelled at Netgear. But um, I, I just I mentioned this because it's. It might be one of those things I would advise turn it on every time because you might intentionally create a loop as a backup. You might also just be like me and create one because you're not thinking about it. And it's not a bad idea to kind of let the network, you know, do what it's supposed to do. But it's cool. You can see the STP packets if you use Wireshark, John. Uh, you just, you know, fire it up on whatever interface you're on. You do this on your Mac and then you can filter in Wireshark. You can go to the top of the screen there because it'll just be a big, long stream of packets. But if you filter by STP, it'll slow it down. And what's cool is you can see it kind of electing different routes and stuff. If you, you know, if you have it plugged in and you, you, you have it monitoring, then you like turn off a, an ethernet port or unplug the ethernet cable or plug it in. Like you just see things and it's, it's actually kind of cool. It's cool. I don't know. So Andy in the chat room is saying generally in a corporate network, you would disable STP on all the ports, except the trunk ports, the one port between the switches, which I guess makes sense. I, I can see why you would want to do that. Limit the clients from having to deal with all that traffic and just let the the switches, the, the ports on the loop um, do it. So, yeah, I can appreciate that. Anyway, so that's fun. I don't know. You had a uh, while we're in geek mode. Can we just stay here? It's kind of fun. I hope our I hope you folks don't mind, John, and I taking a little liberty here on uh on what what will be this Christmas Day show? Just having a geek chat. You had a little problem. Well, I don't know if it's a problem. It's just a mystery. All right. Um. So I was looking at my mini, 
and I, I've seen this happen on both of my machines. So I run iStat menus, and one of the things that you can have displayed in the menu bar is the uh, uh, speed that you are reading from or writing to your hard drive. It's like, okay, well, that's kind of neat. With iStat menus. Correct. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And I noticed on one of my machines, I, I or on both of them, all of a sudden I saw a spike in the read and I'm like, huh, well, that's kind of weird. What's, uh, what's going on here? So, you know, you click on the menu yeah. and it'll show you processes and their read and write speeds. And there's one called Apple SSD statistics. And it was churning at about 20 megabytes a second for several seconds. And then it just kind of went away and I'm trying what? to figure what the heck it is. Are they collecting performance information from my machine and then sending it back back home? The thing is, I found so eventually. So I dug around and I, I even found the program. Yeah. So it's actually in slash. Here's a fun one: slash user slash usr slash libexec. If you look in that directory, you'll find this command called Apple SSD statistics. Uh, with many commands, if you type man in the terminal and then a space and the name of the command, it'll say, Oh yeah, here's what, here's what this does. This doesn't do that. And even running it from the command line and then trying to put, you know, like a slash question mark or a dash V or a, a lot of uh, yeah. command line programs. Well, a lot of them, if you just type the program without any arguments, it'll say, Oh, well, here's all the switches or options or whatever that will make me do different interesting things that didn't happen huh. and i also tried you know dash v sometimes it'll give you the version number or dash h will give you help or dash question mark or slash question mark depends on the program yeah um, right right I, I don't know what the heck it is i love to know I've, I've seen scattered reports online of people saying hey this thing's you know taking it was mostly people complaining it was taking processor. In my case, it wasn't taking any significant amount of processor, but it was it was doing some sort of dance with my SSD. <laughs> what was okay? So was anything else? Is it possible that everything that happens to your SSD goes through this? So so it was more of a red herring that it was reporting activity, but really it's just monitoring the activity. So activity monitor. It erroneously reports that it's Apple SSD statistics versus something else, right? Well, both iStat menus and Activity Monitor both I know showed it it being responsible for a certain amount of data being moved around. All right. Well, right. I am I am testing. Oh, wait a minute, that's the wrong drive. Hang on. I, so I've got this thing up in um in uh, uh what do we call it? Uh, activity monitor, right? And um, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go to my home folder here and go to like downloads or something. Okay, uh, so I'm gonna run Blackmagic speed test here on my SSD. Hopefully, I don't uh, break anything that we're doing for the re recording. And no, I'm not seeing anything that. Uh, that shows this so no yeah and i don't i don't see it now in my process list so i don't know what causes it to wake up and yeah. what it's doing if anybody knows so i i wanted to look more at it and in activity monitor 
when you go to double click it, you get the memory and statistics tab, but you don't get the open files and ports tab. And the reason mm. is because it's launched as root. So you can't see that because when you run activity monitor, you're not running as root. However, that's a solvable problem. So I just went to the terminal and I typed sudo space and then I dragged the activity monitor app and, and did a little bit more. So it's, it's sudo. I'll, I'll put it in the notes, but you, you kind of dig in and, and do and run activity monitor as root uh, by pointing at the activity monitor app in the, in the terminal. I'll put the command in the thing. Cause it's a panic to read. And, uh, and so now I can see open files and ports because I'm running activity monitor as root. Ain't much there. So we get, uh, like you said, user lib exec, Apple SSD statistics, user lib DYLD, uh, private var DB, DYLD, DYLD shared mm. cache, dev null, dev null, dev null, and then count equals one and a state. Oh, okay. I'll so to try that. So there's nothing more. There's nothing there, unfortunately. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a little weird. Oh, well. Yeah. I don't know, man. That's um that's a head scratcher. Yeah, well, maybe someone can help us out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun stuff. What you doing, Apple? What, what's going on? What's it yeah, what's the app doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's fun. I like digging into stuff like this. It's good. All right. Um let's see. Is Lewis's question too much like what we just talked about? Should we save that for another week, John, or is that a good one? Uh, I, I think it's worth discussing. All right, let's go. All right. So, Lewis, or Louis. Louis I believe right. you're right. I believe it's Louis. That's right. Yeah. Right. Um, hi, guys. I'm looking into changing my home network setup, and my main goal is to reduce clutter and hopefully increase overall network speed. I have the following setup. First device is a Bell router provided by the ISP. And it has four ports, and plugged into that are an iMac, a disk station, a Nickier Orbi, and an unmanaged green gigabit switch. Then we have the Nickier Orbi wireless router, and that has four ports connected to a Sonos hub, a SmartThing hub, a printer, and the Bell router. And then the third device is an unmanaged green gigabit switch, which uh, is connected to a Mac Mini, which is a Plex server, a TV, I guess an Apple TV, a Wii. Oh, no, I see Apple TV as well. So we right. must have another TV. Yeah, my, t- my TV's got an Ethernet port. Sure. Oh, okay. All right, so we have three devices here. And th- then the question is, is there any significant gain in network performance by investing in a gigabit Ethernet smart switch from Buffalo, for example, and centralizing all or most of the Ethernet connections to it? And the setup would be the Bell router connected to the smart switch, the Orbi connected to the smart switch and the smart switch connected to everything else. And then a secondary question, what's the advantage of a green? Ah, so Sorry. I'm going to, I, I want to say one thing before we get into this, I am assuming that in, in this scenario, the Orbi is not set up as a router and instead is set up just as a bridge mode device that is creating wireless. That is my assumption as well, because and if it's not, you've created per- a disaster, right? <laughs> Well, then you're going to get a double NAT kind of. No, it's not even double NAT because the Orbi and the and the switch are at the same level. So you, I mean, I don't know what you would get. Yeah, it would be at at best it would be double NAT, but I don't think that's the case. It sounds like the Bell router is the router, and Mm -hmm. the Orbi is in bridge mode. He just didn't mention that. 
I, I, you know, it came up as a red flag for me. So we are going to assume that the router, the bell router is the only thing acting as a router here. Uh, and for the sake of our conversation. Right. So the answer to the question, could you get better network performance by changing things? And the answer is yes. Why is that? Well, I'll use the one that I have as an example here, Dave. So I have the TP-Link uh, TL-SG108E, which is a dandy little 8-port gigabit, uh, they call it a smart switch. Sure. Now, here's the thing with a switch, um, or at least what should be the case. So it's a gigabit switch. So each port on this goes at a gigabit. But here's the other important thing about a switch is that um, you'll see it referred to under different terms. What, what a switch should be able to do is allow full speed connections between all of the devices plugged into all of the ports. So what does that mean? Well, at least in the case of this one here, if you look at the specifications for it, it'll say, oh, well, my switching capacity is 16 gigabits per second. Well, how do we come up with that number? Well, I'll tell you how. There's eight ports on it. Each one's a gigabit. And you can talk in two directions, full duplex. Well, that's eight times two, 16 gigabits per second, right? Of course. You know, I never stopped to think about it. But of course that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Now the thing is any switch worth, I, I suppose it's possible to design a switch that doesn't have a back plane right. that can handle the full bandwidth. And in which case I wouldn't buy it. Hmm. <laughs> Although the one, chances you know, I, that you're going to be using full bandwidth uh, on a switch are pretty slim. It, it Like you said, it, it shows that they've cut a corner. What other corners did they cut that we don't know about? Is kind of the question I would ask. Huh. Right. Yeah, that makes now, sense. Now here's now here's the problem though, is that if you have multiple devices, the the thing is you can daisy chain network devices or connect one to the other, but then here's the problem is that the connection between any two of the devices turns into a potential bottleneck. Right? Right. Yeah, because you're you're going switch to switch or anything like that. That's right. Right. So the thing is, if you have a whole bunch of devices connected to one switch and then they want to blast data to a device on another switch, the problem is the bottleneck is going to be that one. So in this case, you have a gigabit connection between your various network devices or switches. That's going to be a bottleneck if devices on one switch all want to you right. know, communicate at full speed with devices on the other side. Because you got this this uh, restriction here, yeah. So in general, the answer is yes. You want to you would get optimum network performance by having everybody or as many devices as possible plugged into a single switch. Yeah, and that's my answer, and I'm sticking to it. Now the the you know the green thing, you know, is, uh, I don't know. I mean, even the one that I have advertises it's green. And I looked, and the, the maximum power draw is 48 watts, which is, you know, uh, an old-style light bulb. So, uh, I don't know. To I, me, that's not a significant uh, factor, because to me, you know, 48 watts, uh, and it goes into a low-power mode when it, there's things not happening. When there's things not plugged in or things not happening. That Yeah, I, I feel like the the... My reason for choosing a green switch is a most of them in sort of in the price range that we're talking about are that way anyway. And and two, 
heat, right? Because I'm probably going to stuff this thing somewhere that isn't optimal for, uh, you know, ventilation or cooling. So if it's green, maybe it's going to generate less heat when I'm not doing a bunch of stuff. And that's a good thing. Um, I, yeah, I recently did pretty much what, what Louis talking about here. I had kind of that Frankenstein setup of a bunch of different little, like four five and eight port switches all, you know, wired up together and it, it looked lovely, I'm sure. But, uh, but I, I consolidated and in the, in the office and then I bought two of these things, one in the office and one behind the, the, the main TV in the house, which is where the router, the main router is and, and lots of stuff plugged in. I bought two TrendNet 16 port gigabit green switches and they're 60 bucks a piece at Amazon right now. So that I, that seems cheap to me for a 16 port switch and they've both been running great. Uh, no problems with them. E- you know, easy access. They're just big square blocks or big rectangular blocks and, and they work. I, I don't know what else to mm-hmm. say. <laughs> it's it, They're not smart no. switches. I don't need them to be smart switches. I, I have no... There's really no benefit to me for that here. I I just need stuff to talk to each other. That's it. So, yeah, the reason I would look at a switch that's more than a basic switch, Dave. So, so we've been talking a lot about how there's been a lot of advances in uh, Wi-Fi, you know, multi-user MIMO and stuff like that. Things that, that try to do the right thing as far as giving you the bandwidth that you need. A regular off the shelf switch just kind of wings it. And if it gets saturated, like we mentioned, it, you, you know, it is possible to saturate it, then it, it does the best. Uh, I, I don't sure. know, round robins or whatever. I, I guess that's would be the normal way right. to, you know, deal with that is, OK, well, you know, everybody wants to, you know, get this data through this, you know, restricted uh, channel. Well, the best I can do is kind of round robin it for you. OK, sure. A smart switch, or at least the one that I have here, and, and I'm sure the Buffalo and others do that. The nice thing is that they give you. Typically, we'll give you a level of control, and I think we talked about this in a past episode, is that I can set up QoS. Prioritize different devices or whatever. And you can prioritize, and and it depends on the vendor. Uh, I'm Mm -hmm. not familiar with Buffalo's, though I I, I believe you've dealt with with theirs as well. But you could say, okay, whoever's on this port, um, yeah, I'm going to limit your speed to this. Or if it's this type of traffic, then allow full speed. If it's this type of traffic, um. Yeah, That's feel real, free to deprioritize or whatever. Yep. And yeah. you can do other things like this one. It'll it'll actually test the cables, which I think is kind of cool. So, so actually, yeah. you would have benefited from <laughs> having one of these smart switches because it would have told yeah. you, dude, your cable's shot. Because this thing actually goes out and electrically will will tell you, oh, okay, well, I, I think your cable is about this long uh, and it's working okay. It, it It's really neat. So um, cool. I guess that's all I have to say about that. So get a switch with as many ports or more ports than you think you need. I'm actually in a situation now, Dave, where I'm actually doing what I told you not to do, which is I actually have my smart switch daisy chain to a dumb one. Though the thing is what I did is I plugged in relatively low speed devices into the the dumb one. I plugged in my printer and I don't even know what what other device, but things that that don't take up a lot of bandwidth. So I, 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 it'll be highly unlikely that I'm going to saturate you know, the channel between this switch and, and the other one. Yeah. I am thinking of getting a 16 port one. I recommend, well, if you want a smart switch, this isn't it, but if you don't want a smart switch for 60 bucks, man, golden. So, all right. What else do we have here? Um, yeah, let's, um, 
let, let's we're going to talk about Todd here, and I think it might even be the same Todd that we talked about a little bit earlier. Todd said uh, in episode six thirty five. You said your iTunes library is on your Mac, but you also clone it weekly over to your NAS where it's used as a network media source. I'm thinking of moving my iTunes library to a NAS without also keeping a master on my Mac to reclaim the space on my SSD. Then to use iTunes, I'd, of course, need the NAS to be mounted. That's correct. He says, I have three questions. Number one, what does iTunes do if the NAS is not mounted and the library isn't found? Number two, since I have a MacBook Pro, I might be outside my house and outside my home network. And I want to use iTunes. I heard you talk about ways to connect to a NAS from the Internet. Synology's quick connect, easy but limited to using the web interface or a VPN so that I can connect in the finder. How can iTunes reach the NAS from the Internet? And number three, how does moving my iTunes library to a NAS and pointing iTunes there differ from using an iTunes server on the NAS? Okay, so number one, iTunes will run if it can't find your library. Uh, as long as it can find, if it can't find your media files, as long as it can find your library files. So my advice would be move your iTunes media folder to a network drive and leave the iTunes library files. There's, there's a couple of them uh, on your Mac in sort of the normal configuration. That way, uh, if iTunes launches and it can't find the library files, then it will just create, it'll, I think it might complain, but it might not. It might just going to open the default it might create them and open the default library so definitely do that uh for connecting from outside of the house yeah connecting through the web interface is not gonna gonna do it because you effectively need the finder to be able to see this stuff in order for itunes to to also see it um so you'd need to use a vpn to to connect through this starts to enter into what i would call non-optimal territory uh for sure and then uh, but we'll talk about that in a minute. And the difference between having your iTunes library, iTunes pointing to your library on the NAS and having an iTunes server on the NAS is control. When your NAS publishes its library as an iTunes library, you can play music from it and you can see playlists and all of that stuff, but you can't control it. You can't do anything about it. Uh, you're just seeing it as a shared library. So it's one way access. Whereas if you store your library there, it's just like you store it locally, except it's over there. And now you have two way access. I would not recommend doing this with a portable computer that you're going to try and access from outside uh, or where you're going to try and access this library from, from outside the house. I, I think you're going to wind up with a, in a world of hurt and, uh, Using Apple Music, although I know that now we're talking about a you know ten dollar a month, hundred twenty dollar a year expense, uh, is built for you to do exactly this because now all your music is stored on the cloud, and you don't need to um, you you don't need to store copies locally on your Mac, and so that that that's kind of where I would go with this uh, trying to connect. And if it's only going to happen once or twice a year, where you're going to try and connect to your iTunes library from outside the house. Yeah, no problem. But if it's during the year, uh, you know, if it's, if it's every day or kind of that kind of thing, no, I wouldn't do it. You're making all kinds of noise over there, John. What do you have to say? Nothing. <sighs> I don't know why you're picking up all this noise today. You guys Dude, are, you're you know. like humming and huffing and, and chair moving and oh, it's all kinds of stuff. <laughs> um, 
Any any thoughts on the on this? No. I'm... No. Okay. <laughs> no, I pretty much uh, you know uh, uh, stream my music just just in the house. Don't really. Uh... So if I had to do it, yeah, I probably would, you know, there's various things, you know, audio station, I guess is one, uh, uh, at least in the Synology case, I think they offer an iTunes server. And if you wanted to, you could VPN in and do all that great stuff. But yeah. You, you brought up some good cautions there yeah. about how, uh, you could get into a non-optimal world. Yeah, definitely non-optimal. That's, um, yeah. All right. Um, let's see. Do we have time for one more? Um, yeah, sure. Quickly. Because we, I, this has kind of become a little bit of the, you know, networky ish show. So we'll talk about, uh, Brian's question very quickly. He says, uh, I, uh, I, I, he just bought an Eero. He says, I currently have an airport extreme at one corner of my house. With power line connecting it to an airport express in the middle, I've been considering replacing them with an Eero system. I'll also be adding a Synology DS1515 Plus to my equipment and putting it in my office on the second story. Both airports are on the first floor. Since I don't have Ethernet cable in the walls and power line is speed limited, would placing an Eero in my office about 20 feet away from the Fios entry point and connecting the Synology to its Ethernet port instead of power line be a practical alternative speed wise? The initial Eero is in the bedroom, and I'd like to avoid putting the Synology in the bedroom because of noise. Our Ethernet is 25 uh, plus, or our internet is 25 plus megabits uh, up and down in a file system installed by Verizon. Okay, so the short version is, yeah, this should work just fine. Um, and, and you would do exactly what you talked about. You'd, you'd set up the Eero's in their normal wireless mesh and then plug the Synology into one of the two Ethernet ports on kind of the remote Eero there. And, and it would be on the network. Uh, and yes, that would work. There are lots of people doing that. I actually have my brother set up on a system where he's doing something similar and it works just fine. But because you have the power line adapters, I would test it. I would use iPerf on your Mac and we'll link to an article that shows you how to do that. But uh, it's very, very straightforward and simple to use iPerf or iPerf 3 uh, on your Mac to test speeds in both directions. And so I would plug your Mac into... Uh, you know, the, the, the Eero Ethernet wise uh, at the base station. And then I'd plug it in again, Ethernet wise at the, the Eero, you know, the remote Eero test the speeds in both directions and then do the same with power line. If power line is faster, then I would actually keep your power line there and plug the Eero in the bedroom or not the bedroom, the Eero in the office into the power line so that that now becomes your backhaul between the two devices. Um, you, know, you just want to use the fastest backhaul that you can between them. And if that turns out to be the Eero's wireless link, which it probably will be, to be perfectly honest, I, I think the Eero is going to wind up being quite a bit faster than Powerline, especially at the distances you're talking about here. But it's worth testing it, especially if you already own the Powerline gear. There's no harm and and a little bit of geeky fun and, and taking a minute and just, just figure it out. And then, you know, and, uh, but either way, yes, it will totally work. If you decide that, that wireless is the best option and it probably will be, uh, that's totally going to work fine. Yeah. You know, latency is going to vary a little bit because it's wireless, but you're not going to have any problems. I think it's going to work totally fine. Thoughts on that, Mr. Braun? 
I'm happy with my setup. Yeah, right. It just works. No power line in mind, though. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Just three arrows, a couple of wireless uh, audio destinations, and uh, they all work great. Good. Cool. All right, folks. Uh, we hope that you've had a uh, a fun time here with us. We hope that uh, you had a Merry Christmas or a Happy Hanukkah or whatever it is that uh, you celebrate or don't celebrate. I hope you had a great Sunday, really, is what it, what it all comes down to. And uh, a great week in between as well. Feedback at MacGeekUp.com is where you can find us. And we would love to hear from you. Right, and uh, after uh, after you get done with your uh, feats of strength, uh, you can you can write to feedback at macgeekab.com. That's right, feedback at macgeekab.com. Unless you're a premium subscriber, and then premium at macgeekab.com is where you can uh, find us, and we do prioritize those premium listeners that were featured in this show are Brian, most recently Todd, Louie. Douglas, who brought us down the uh, Bluetooth rabbit hole, Larry, Gray, and uh, and I believe that, and you, you right there. Thank you so much to all of you. Everybody in the chat room too at macgeekab.com slash stream. Thanks to everyone, really. It um, it means a, a ton to have you as listeners. This is our last episode of the year because the next one will be released on January 1st. Yes, we'll be recording it ahead of time. Uh, same kind of schedule, but... Uh, but released on January 1st, so, so send us your stuff. But we're paying attention all week and looking forward to uh, to hearing from you about all that stuff. John, thank you for a f- another fun year doing Mac Geek Cab. It's a oh, true no, no, thank you. See? Uh, thanks to Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Thanks to... All our sponsors, especially Fat Cat Software, we sponsored this episode at fatcatsoftware.com slash MGG. Gazelle at gazelle.com. Smile at smilesoftware.com. Squarespace at squarespace.com slash MGG. Otherworld Computing at maxsales.com. Barebones Software at barebones.com. And Casper at casper.com. John, we ended this show, or we started this show in a, a non-traditional way with our odd intro. Uh-oh. And uh, and I'd like to end it in a non-traditional way because we got a we got a note uh, this week that um, we have one listener that that was speaking on behalf of all of you, and I want to share this because I think uh, I know, in fact, because I've heard from lots of you that 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 he is not incorrect speaking on your behalf, and so I would just like to sh- thank this. It came in at a perfect time, really meant a lot, John, and I really appreciate it. So we're going to let Andrew take us out. And good day, John, and good day, Dave. It's uh, Andrew here in Bellingen uh, on the east coast of Australia. I have some good news. I don't have any problems. Um, I don't have any tips. I don't need any help. And best of all, I haven't been caught. But what I did want to do is, on behalf of your tens of thousands of listeners around the world, is wish you all the best for the Christmas and New Year period. And thank you for all of your support, guidance, encouragement, fun, rational thinking, crazy stuff, and uh, everything else uh, over the past 12 months. Speaking personally, you're my favourite 90 uh, minutes of the week when it comes to geeking out. Uh, It's like having two mates over and sitting around a table and having a beer with them and talking about uh, tech stuff. I absolutely love it. Um, And even though I now live in my homeland of Australia, I've listened to you guys walking along the beach in Copacabana in Rio, Brazil, while travelling through the cradle of mankind in South Africa, while walking in Red Square uh, in Moscow. 
while living in my hometown of San Francisco and uh, many, many other places uh, throughout uh, all continents around the world. You guys have been a, a travel companion for me over the last 10 years and uh, it certainly makes me feel at home geeking out with you. So uh, have a great uh, Christmas and New Year and here's my wish for you in 2017. Don't get caught. See you guys. Made up.